ahead and grab out your Bibles and your notes, everybody. We're in part four of our series, Through the Crowd. I've really enjoyed this series, just studying for it, just going through the stories of Jesus. If you haven't been with us any of the weeks, number one, we believe in taking notes, all right? So if you haven't been with us for a few years now, we believe in taking notes at Victory. Number two is the idea of the series is that all throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus was surrounded by crowds. The Bible says that everywhere he went, a crowd followed him. It was just a daily experience that the crowds would surround Jesus. But the idea of the series is even in the midst of the crowds, he still saw the people. Even in the midst of these massive throngs of people that would come around, he still saw the individual. Jesus didn't just see a chance for popularity. He didn't see this this chance to fuel his earthly ministry. He didn't see people as a chance to take advantage of them. He saw the individuals. And the Bible says not only did he see them, he had compassion on them because they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. That he had compassion on the people. That he saw their condition. He knew what they were going through. Because sometimes I think we understand Jesus sees me, but maybe we don't understand that he knows what I'm going through. And then even better than that, I want you to know he has compassion. That he sees you, even your shortcomings, even your faults. He sees them, he knows them, and he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. And so I told you at some point during this series, maybe not today, maybe not in these first few weeks, but at some point, I want that to become internal for you. That he sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And so I want us to read just one more story this week. And we're going to continue this series for a few more weeks before we go into our At The Movie series in November. But I just want to continue one more story showing the heart of Jesus. And honestly, I chose this story for today because as we come out of Serve Day, Uh, As we come out of this idea of serving our community and reaching, I want us to keep our eyes up. Because Serve Day is just an opportunity to kind of jumpstart that, that we get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our own church, our eyes off of our own needs. And Serve Day is just a chance to look out at the community. But I want us to keep our eyes there. I want us to keep our eyes up always, that we're always living for those around us like Jesus did. What would it mean to see the crowds but see the people? What would it mean to be surrounded by hundreds of people at work or in church, but to see the individual? What would that look like for us? And so honestly, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, is where we're going to kind of hang out for the majority of this morning. Luke chapter 19. Because if you've been with us, this story might have been better for week two. Because week one, I talked about blind Bartimaeus and how he cried out to Jesus outside of the city of Jericho. And I told you that the reason there are so many beggars and blind outside of Jericho begging is because of the amount of wealthy people who lived inside of Jericho. That's why they attracted that particular demographic, that they would come and they would beg outside of that city because of all of the wealthy people. Well, today I want you to meet one of the wealthy people. Because Jesus is going straight from blind Bartimaeus, now he's going to a second visitation, a second chance to see through the crowd on the complete opposite spectrum. Same city, but opposite spectrum of what it is. All right, Luke chapter 19 and verse 1. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. I want you to underline that for a little bit later. But just to take a quick time out and tie a few of the weeks together. So we've already tied in week one. This is Jericho. This is the oasis city, 4,000 feet below sea level, below Jerusalem. This is actually the lowest city in elevation below sea level in the world, 864 feet below. And so Jericho is 4,000 feet below where Jerusalem is. So you read in the Old Testament, every time they would go to Jerusalem, it said they would go up to Jerusalem. They were going up because Jerusalem would sit higher than its relative neighbors and cities. And so Jericho was this last stop before you would go up. You would make the ascent to Jerusalem. And so this is what Jesus and his disciples are doing. They're going up. They're making the pilgrimage to the temple. It's where the Jewish people would go to worship God. 
Because this is where they believe this is the only place that God's presence was. And so you remember last week with the woman at the well, she asked Jesus, well, you say it's at the mountain in Jerusalem. Our fathers say it's at the mountain here. Which one is it? And so you remember that idea because this is where they would go to experience the presence of God. They go up to Jerusalem. So they're passing through Jericho like Jesus is doing. And so in this city, we find our main character, Zach. All right. So first, a man is there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. I think it's interesting. Every time we mention Zacchaeus, we mention his occupation and his economic status. Like that's all we know. The most we know about Zacchaeus is that he was a tax collector and that he was rolling in it, everybody. All right. He had money for days. Zacchaeus just was, had all the money in the world. I want to give you a little context for that. And so Zacchaeus, first of all, he was the tax collector. And so first and foremost, we know Zacchaeus was hated by everybody because that translates even to our modern times. Zacchaeus is the one who would come to collect all of the taxes. But even more so than we think about tax collectors, even more so than you may have views of the IRS, whether they are legal or not, whatever your views are, more so than our hatred for tax collectors, Zacchaeus in that day would have been a Jewish person collecting taxes for the Roman government. And so more than just being a tax collector, Zacchaeus was a traitor to his people because he was collecting taxes for the occupying government. They had been occupied, they had been taken over, and now Zacchaeus was working for them to take money from his fellow brethren. And so Zacchaeus is hated above all, and not just tax collector, he is chief tax collector, all right? He is above, so he is public enemy number one. He is hated by everyone around him because in that day, he could overcharge as much as he wanted. Romans didn't care as long as they got their cut. And so Zacchaeus is taxing his own people to benefit himself personally. So he's rolling in it. He's living. He's a chief tax collector in a wealthy community with a high tax rate. Come on, somebody. Zacchaeus is living the life. And so the people hate him for that. Not only that the tax collecting side of that, but then also spiritually, this would be somebody that they felt was very, very unspiritual in their community. This would be somebody ostracized from their religious circles. This is somebody that they feel is so far theologically, so far from God from them, that not only did they hate him for what he did in the natural, they also hated him for where he was in the spiritual. And so Zacchaeus is losing on both fronts in his community. Very unspiritual. Then verse 3, even a person like this, even he, watch this in verse 3, even he wanted to see who Jesus was. Even he, even the most unspiritual, most theologically incorrect, even the most hated, most every, most ostracized person in the community, even he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. A lot of things I hope you see in this story. But the first one, jot it down if you're taking notes, and that is the world is searching for Jesus. The world is searching for even Zacchaeus in the farthest, they would have said the most ostracized, the furthest person from God in their community. Even he wanted to see who Jesus was. Even he wanted to see. The main thought I hope you get, even people like Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst sinners, are searching for something real. Even the worst of the worst, they're searching for something genuine. They're searching for purpose and meaning. They're searching for something bigger than themselves. Even a person like Zacchaeus, and we ended last week with the concept that people are hurting, that sin doesn't work, that Jesus is the answer. We ended with that concept. And I want you to see that even in the life of Zacchaeus, that he's looking for something genuine, something authentic. He wants to know, he's, he's searching for something bigger than himself. And I promise you it's true today. That even people you think are the furthest from God, even though they're searching for meaning in this life, they're looking for something bigger than themselves. They're looking for God is what they're looking for. It's what they're looking for. And even Zacchaeus in his sinner state is wanting an encounter with Jesus. 
And I think we need to understand that in the way, because I think it would give us confidence in the way we live our lives. That as we go out into the world, that we are encountering people for whom we have the hope of the gospel. I think sometimes we, we get a little confused and we apologize for our faith or we apologize for the thing that we believe. And we, we tend to apologize when we would understand that it's the answer to the hurting that they're experiencing. When people tell you, well, life is hard and there is pain and there, we have the answer in the gospel. We have the difference that can be made because of our relationship with Jesus, because of the hope we have in him. And so I think it would shift our perspective and the way that we carry ourselves and the way that we understand our relationship with Christ. But here's what's interesting. We go back to the verse. It says, being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So much to that speaks to church culture today. I just want to kind of realign us a little bit here after serve day and going into November, which is our most evangelistic month of the year. I just want to kind of realign us a little bit using this story. Because first thing I hope you see is this religious idea debunked that you have to have it all together before you can get to God. That you have to somehow have it all 100% together before you can run. Because listen to me, everybody. Imperfections do not keep people from Jesus. Imperfections are not the things that keep people from running to Jesus. That's not what it is. You don't have to get it all together to get to God. I've told you this before. You get to God to get it together. You, You run to him so he can help you pick up the pieces. You run to him so he can heal you. I promise you, nobody is perfect to run. None of us ran to God because we were perfect. We had it all together. And now we were ready to make our appearance in the throne room of the Father. We ran to him because we were broken and we were in pieces and we needed him to heal us. That's why we run to him. And so nobody, imperfections aren't what keep people from Jesus. Zacchaeus was short, but being short didn't keep him from Jesus. Jesus didn't say, well, I I came to seek and to save only those who are six foot three and above. I just, I can't have a ministry to short people. That's not what Jesus said. Being short isn't what kept Zacchaeus from Jesus. Imperfections aren't what keep him. And we need to understand this because there's a religious perspective that you need to be perfect in order to go to God. That you need to get all your issues together. You need to get out of that relationship or you need to, you need to somehow break off that addiction. Or you've got, to, you've got to do all of these things to wash yourself clean before we'll allow you to go to the throne of God. There's a religious idea behind that that tries to keep people from Jesus. It's not imperfections that keep people from Jesus. Nothing could be further from that. It's the crowd in this story that keeps Zacchaeus from Jesus. Listen to me, imperfections don't keep people from Jesus. People keep people from Jesus. Imperfections are not the reason you can't run to Jesus. Anybody is allowed at the foot of the cross. Anybody can come to him at any point in their life, can run to Jesus. But it's people that keep others from Jesus. Oftentimes, it's what we as Christ followers, it's the systems we create. It's the filters we try to make people, it's the hoops we try to make them jump through that keep people from seeing who Jesus really is. That keep them from seeing the crowd that day surrounding Jesus. And it may not have been their intention, but the byproduct of the way that they were following him kept someone from seeing him. And I think so oftentimes this is a warning shot to us as Christians. And it's something that I take personally, something convicted me throughout this week. So oftentimes the things we do, the way we live, the way we speak to others, the way we treat others in our lives could be keeping them from seeing who Jesus really is. It's not imperfections, it's people. Because we can say our vision is to reach the lost. We, we can even do it as a church. We can say, well, our vision for Sundays is to preach the gospel. And we're going to see lost people say, we can say the right things, but oftentimes the way we treat church services, the way we treat coming together as a Christian body is for what we can get out of it. It's quiet in this church this morning. I don't know. I'm going to drink some water and hope it gets a little less quiet. 
But so oftentimes we come to these gatherings, we think, what can I get out of it? Because you have to be a member of the club. You got to know where to check your kids in. You got to know where the coffee is. You got to sit with somebody. You got to feel welcome on a Sunday. So oftentimes churches will try to just make it where you have to be involved already in order to feel welcome into the service. Let that not be us, Victory. Let that not be us, even in our own gatherings, in our small groups, in the time you have to be a part of the clique or a part of the club to even feel welcome into the friendship. So that cannot be us because so oftentimes the crowd keeps people from seeing Jesus. We keep people far from him. And while there's nothing wrong with Christians fellowship, I'm not saying I'm, a, I'm for that in every shape, way and form. We have to be careful that the systems and environments we create aren't keeping hurting people from finding God. We have to be careful. Because the disciples did the same thing. They were around Jesus. And one time in the scriptures, it says people came and brought children for the Jesus to lay his hands on them. And the disciples tried to throw them away. Disciples, why, you can't come in here. We've got something going, right? We've got a service is going on. There can't be kids running up to Jesus. He's preaching. He's doing. And they try to turn people away from hearing it, from having Jesus touch them. And Jesus lights them up on this. Jesus looks at them and he rebukes them. The disciples rebuked them. Jesus rebukes the disciples. Next verse said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like this. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the little children. Their angels seen the face of my father in heaven all the time. You can't keep these out of the kingdom. I came for everyone. And I think too oftentimes we try to put filters on who Jesus came for. We we try to put filters on who Jesus can touch. Well, they're too far gone. I'm not going to witness to them. No way Jesus could ever touch. It's the funniest thing to me to talk with somebody who's been rescued out of something and then looks back where they came from and like, well, there's no way God could touch them. And I'm talking, it's almost like a disconnect. Well, you, God touched you and God touched all of us. There's no way. Of course he can touch them. And too oftentimes, though, we filter out who we think is deserving of the gospel, who we think is deserving of Jesus to touch them. And so Jesus rebukes the disciples. Listen, you don't want to be on the other end of a rebuke from Jesus, all right? That's just not a place. If I could give you pastoral advice, that's not a place you want to be. And so, in fact, I want this to be clear about the heart of Christ. That when we lose our why, we lose our way. That when we lose why we're doing this, when we lose who we're reaching, when we begin to create systems and environments and services and outreaches, when we create all of those things, but we forget why we're doing it, we lose our way. Because I believe the church was created as a movement. The church is the only organization in the world that exists for its non-members. We exist for those who are not here yet. You understand that? That is our calling. Because we're not here for people on this side of the cross. Praise the Lord that we are saved. We're headed. Our eternity is secure. We're not here for people on this side of the cross. We're here for people on that side of the cross who need to cross from death to life. We're here for them. That's our calling as the church. Let it never be said that we tried to filter out who could run to Jesus. That we tried to filter out who could come to him. It's not our job to determine who gets to come to the foot of the cross. It's not our job to determine who gets judged and who gets forgiven. It's our job to get as many people to Jesus as we possibly can. That's our job. It's why we exist as a church, which is why I'll tell you guys, if anyone tries to tell you, you should be doing this, or you need to be doing that, or you should be here, or you should be, anybody filter it always through, am I reaching souls for the gospel? Because I understand people have an agenda for my life. People have an agenda for your life. People have an agenda for everything in this world. But are we reaching people for the gospel? Always comes back. That's why we exist as a church. To spread the gospel of Jesus. And so here's Zacchaeus. He wants to see Jesus, but the people around him are keeping him. So he finds a new way. Verse 4. He ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree, right? 
to see what he could. Where my Baptist at? To see, come on, sing with me. What he could see, see, see. We should bring that song back in worship, everybody. That's a good one. Since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus decides, I'm going to figure this out a different way. I'm going to run ahead and I'm going to climb this tree. And I'm going to see Jesus. And I just want to take another time out. Because if you skim over these stories, you will miss how amazing that they are. You will, you will miss how incredible this are. Because here's Zacchaeus. He's smaller than the people around him. He's got this complex of everyone hating him, ostracized by the community. He feels left out. He's not loved. He's famous, but for all the wrong reasons. Like everybody knows who he is and they all hate him for it. But he's known by everyone. And so here he is. And in that day, they wore robes, everybody. All right. I just want you to understand that. They didn't have on gym shorts or pants or anything. They, he had on a robe. And only a rope, if I'm painting the picture correctly for you guys, all right? So here's Zacchaeus. He's so desperate to see Jesus that he runs ahead. He climbs a tree, which is reserved for children. Come on, if you've been an adult trying to climb a tree, you know why it's reserved for children, all right, everybody? Because you just break every bone in your body. But he sees, he climbs a tree reserved for children. He disgraces himself in this way. So here's Zacchaeus. And I would remind you, Zacchaeus has a desk job, all right? He's a banker. He's very wealthy. And so here's Zacchaeus, he runs ahead, he's the tax collector, so he's got on his Gucci robe, right? He's got his Prada belt, he's got his Louis Vuitton shoes, he's got all that right on. Come on, I do research for you guys, I know some of this stuff. And he decides, I'm going to, all of this on, all this expensive whatever, I'm going to climb this tree so that I can see Jesus. second thing I want you to know, jot it down if you're taking notes, and that is that people will sacrifice dignity for clarity. People will sacrifice dignity for clarity every single time. And this happens every weekend at Victory. And if we don't recognize it, we'll destroy our culture. If we don't recognize it, we'll destroy our chance to fulfill the Great Commission. Because people every week darken the door of our building and they're willing to sacrifice dignity for clarity. Honestly, just showing up sometimes is doing that. Because Zacchaeus is becoming undignified climbing this tree to get a clear picture of Jesus. And people who come to church so oftentimes, they will sacrifice there because oftentimes they're on their way and they're already thinking, well, you've never been to church in so long and they're going to know. Or maybe you've never been to church at all. And when you meet the first part, they're going to know what your sins are. Or maybe you're so messed up. But if you just and oftentimes the reason they've been beaten up by the devil already, it's usually the reason they're willing to come to church in the first place. And so when they show up, whether it's church or whether it's just to a gathering of believers, whether it's you're inviting them to your house, when they show up, they are sacrificing a little bit of dignity for clarity about who Jesus really is. They don't need us to tell them their shortcomings and their faults, everybody. They know well what their shortcomings and their faults. They don't need us to point out their addictions, their things. They already know what those things are. Usually it's the reason they're willing to show up in the first place. They know what's going on already. They know that, but they're willing to trade a little bit up for clarity for who Jesus actually is. And that's our chance to show it. Because too often times the world is expecting us to respond in a certain way. Somebody who's far from God is expecting Christians to respond in a certain way. To turn them away or to filter them like we talked about. To respond like the crowd to keep them from Jesus. To have some things that they need to do to live up to in order to be accepted back into the presence of God. Too often times it's people that keep them. And so they're wrestling with all of that. And so if I could just give a charge victory, our culture makes such a difference in whether or not somebody sees who Jesus really is. You think, well, I'm just coming to church on a Sunday. I'm just going to go see the people that I know and then I'm going to sing my songs. I'm going to go eat and we're going to go home. 
Never realizing that the way we treat people when we come together like this, the way we treat people on a serve day, the way we interact with others that we're supposed to love, the way we treat them decides whether or not they see who Jesus really is. It's a charge to us in our church culture. We're creating environments where they can find clarity. It's our job to give them a picture of Jesus. So Jesus is walking along. Zacchaeus is up in the tree. Verse 5, he comes to the spot. He looks up at Zach, right? He comes to the spot below the tree. He stops. All the crowds are around him. Everybody is following Jesus. The crowds, he looks up and he says to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I have to stay at your house today. So imagine this, the crowds around Jesus, he's walking, he has all of the things that we would think famous and people love him and the crowds are throwing and he stops and he looks up at public enemy number one up there in the tree, looking down at him. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming over, which would have been very uncharacteristic, by the way, for a spiritual leader like Jesus. Last week, we looked at the woman at the well breaking racial barriers. I want you to know today, Jesus is breaking this economic theological barrier, this spiritual barrier that so oftentimes we put up without even realizing it. So at the time, because Jericho was this this bedroom community, this outpost community for the priests. So it would be all of the priests who worked up at the church in Jerusalem. They would come down when they weren't working and they would live in Jericho. So it's full of spiritual leaders who all of us would have expected Jesus to eat with. That's who we would have expected Jesus to go out to lunch with. That's who Jesus should have been pinpointing. He should have gone out to lunch with all of the spiritual leaders because they believed the way that he did. Because they believed the, the same thing theologically that he believed. But out of all the people Jesus could have chosen, I want you to see this, out of all the people he could have chosen to be with that day, To hang out with that day. They chose Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst. The most notorious sinner they have. Because at this point, I want you to internalize that Jesus still invested relationally into those he disagreed with theologically. If you get nothing else today, he still invested relationally with someone he disagreed with theologically. There would have been no one in this city who disagreed with Jesus more than Zacchaeus. With the way that Jesus lived his life, the way that Jesus preached. He leaned in relationally to Zacchaeus. And the reason is he wants to make a difference in Zacchaeus' life. I want you to catch the, the minutiae, the, the, the little fine details of this. He's not in this to blow up Zacchaeus' life. He wasn't in it to blow up the woman at the well's life. He's in this to make a difference. There is a difference here. When we treat people, when we interact with them, when we come to someone in love and we preach the gospel to them, see why we do it. It's not to blow up their life to feel good that we said something, to feel good that we got our peace out and we said what we needed to say. It's to make a difference in their life. If we want to make a difference in the world around them, we have to care for people relationally. Because you've seen this a million times. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Come on, somebody. They, they understand that if you don't care about them, they're not listening to nothing that comes out of your mouth. We have to care for people relationally, actually want to make a difference in their life actually want to make a difference, which, by the way, is why I refuse to bring you messages that just inform you enough to win the argument. It's why I'll never step into this pulpit and give you a message that can just enable you to go out and to win the argument. Listen to me. You can win the argument, everybody, and still lose. You understand that with the people in your life, you can win every argument you want to win and you can still lose souls to hell because it's not about just winning. It's not about just being right. It's about being effective for the kingdom. Because we can be right all day long and still lose the war. It's about being effective. It's about wanting to see people's lives change. And Jesus knew that, so he invested relationally into Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to be in your house today. So how can we be effective? The first thing is we connect, everybody. We need to connect with people. 
We need to have relationships where people don't feel like a number or they don't feel like a service project. They actually feel like someone loves them for who they are. We connect with people. And when we do our serve day, when we do our local schools and people's homes, when we reach out in our community, we always attach it with the gospel. We always attach that with a service, an act of love to show that we actually care. Because it's easy to say words, everybody. It's easy to sit up on a stage and just preach things all day. Until we show them that we care, we'll never make a difference. We show them that God actually loves them, we'll never make a difference. We've got to build relationships. And Jesus knew that. He's like, I'm coming over to your house today, Zacchaeus. We're going to hang out a little bit. We're going to spend a little bit of time together. Which was very frustrating for the people around Jesus, by the way. Because look at their response. Zacchaeus jumps out of the tree. Watch, watch this. Zacchaeus jumps out at once and he welcomed him gladly. I would remind you again, people who are searching, people who have never met God before in their life, they have no problem with God. They have no, they're excited about what God has to offer. It's like that bumper sticker, Jesus saved me from your followers, right? It's like they have no problem with God. God's not the problem. We are, everybody. We are, because watch this. Here's what the spiritual community does. Verse 7, all the people, all of them saw this, and they began to mutter. They began to mutter. And I've noticed that sometimes when we, we reach a particular, there's a little muttering out in the crowd when we reach a particular part of the service. But they began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. They began to talk about Jesus. Like they've been crowding around him. They've been following him for miles. This is the rabbi. This is the Messiah. This is the the creator of the world. We love Jesus. They see him do one thing, take one step towards somebody that they don't like. And they start talking about Jesus. And now today, just quickly, I would like to put ourselves in the position of the crowd. So oftentimes we see, we see God take one step towards somebody we don't like. We see somebody have an opportunity for life change that we really, really, truly hate in our hearts. And we begin to mutter. I can't believe that that would happen. I can't believe, because listen to me, everybody. Legalistic religious environments hate the idea of grace. Those who have gotten trapped in a legalistic religious view of who Jesus is cannot stand the idea of true grace. It's too messy. It's too easy. It's this idea that I can't believe that he would go and be, if he only knew who this person was, no way he would eat with them. If he only knew, if Jesus knew Zacchaeus like I know Zacchaeus, because Zacchaeus took my money last month. If Jesus knew that person like I know that person, there's no way God would have anything to do with them. If Jesus only knew what they had done to me, and it's why you'll hear things like, well, victory must not really be preaching the truth. They must be watering it down because I know some of the people who go to church there and Lord knows they're not Christians. And so they just must not be having just, woo, I know how they, be. I, I can't believe they allowed those types of people to enter into church. I can't, it's just not, something must not be right if they have those kinds of people allowed to come to Jesus. And I want you to jot this down, everybody. I want you to internalize it. You might ruin your reputation Helping someone else find salvation. You might ruin your reputation in the spiritual community. You might ruin it with the people around you. Helping someone find salvation. Because they begin to call Jesus a drunkard. Because he hung out with unreligious people. They begin to say Jesus went to the home of a sinner. They said Jesus went to spend time with prostitutes. Jesus reached out and, and had this, this ministry to those who were far from God. Jesus loved these people. Jesus stepped out toward them. And they began to mutter about them. That he would have lunch with a sinner. Let me tell you something. That would have been true no matter where Jesus ate that day. If having lunch with non-sinners was a prerequisite for eating, Jesus would have ate alone his entire life, everybody. Because all of us are sinners. Every last one of us. But that's the perspective that they have. 
That's their perspective for that. I think that's what the church should be. Like Jesus, leaning in relationally to those that people ostracize, that people think could never have grace. And if people don't change, if we lean in relationally, we spend that time. And I would just like to say as a church, we're coming up on a season, like I said, our evangelistic season. It's, it's a little different than sometimes what evangelistic seasons look like. At the movies, it's one of those things that it's a little different than what you made. But I, if there's uncommon ways to reach people for the gospel, I celebrate it. If there's ways to reach people that have never been reached in different ways that have never been tried, then I celebrate it. If there's a chance to step into an opportunity to reach souls for the gospel, we're going to do whatever we need to do to reach those who may would never, ever darken the door of a church. We're going to reach out to them. We're going to do that as a church. We're going to celebrate those things. And if people don't change, it doesn't mean that you validate their lifestyle. Just because you spent time with somebody doesn't mean that you're validating the things that they did. It means that you're reaching out relationally like Jesus did. Just because somebody feels comfortable to come and try to experience the presence of God doesn't mean the church validates their morality. Just means that we're not going to be anything. We're not going to be anywhere between somebody and the cross. We're going to do everything we can to bring them into the presence of God. We're going to do everything we can so that at one point, someday, they're going to experience life change. At some point, someday, God's going to get a hold of their life and turn them. Let us just be a step on the way to that. That we're reaching out with everything inside of us. So something happens between verse 7 and verse 8. And I kind of like that we don't know. Because all we know is Jesus went to spend time with Zacchaeus. He goes to hang out with him. He goes to his house. And I don't know. They put on football. They throw horseshoes. They do something together. All right. They, they spend time together. And this incredible thing happens. Incredible thing. Verse 8. It says Zacchaeus comes to this revelation. He stands up. So they're sitting. They're eating. They're doing whatever it is. He stands up and he says, Lord, look here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, if I've cheated anybody, right? If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Look at what happens in a life that is radically changed. Because I want you to understand something. For what Zacchaeus had done, for cheating on the taxes, for taking that, the penalty in the Old Testament would have been to make them whole and a fifth. Zacchaeus would have owned the one and a fifth he would have owed to the people that he cheated. But what Zacchaeus offers to do, what Zacchaeus stands up and makes his proclamation, this four times the amount, that's what would have been paid for a common thief who would have stolen. Zacchaeus says, he's like, I don't care what the law says. I don't care what the punishment, my life is so changed at this moment. This is what radical change looks like. He's like, I don't care what the law says I need to do. I don't care what the minimum is. I'm just giving back everything that I have, half of it to the poor, four times the amount to those that I've cheated. He says, I just want to make this change. And Jesus looks at him. And I want you to understand this, because this is, this is what, honestly, this is what real change looks like. And it's why I love reaching the unchurched and the de-churched and those who have never even been in church for the gospel, because it's a radical conversion. Because a lot of times you'll hear this saying, well, how close can I get to the line now and still have my fire insurance, right? Like, how, how close, how can I live and still not go to hell? How, how close can I get to that line? How can I? But that's not what Zacchaeus didn't even enter his mind at all. His life is so changed. His love for Jesus now, his, his change that's come into him. He's like, I'm going above and beyond. I don't care how close to the line. I'm running as far that way as I possibly can get. I'm be as far away from the line, as far away from the cliff's edge, as far away as I can get from it because I've been so changed. It's a genuine revelation. It's a genuine reaction that God's got a hold of his life. That's where Zacchaeus was. And Jesus said, that's the evidence your life now has changed. Watch what he says. He says, today salvation has come to this house. 
Salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. He says this man that's been ostracized, this man's been cast out of the community, this man who everyone has hated, grace has come to him. Salvation has come to this house. And then as we close, Jesus says this incredible verse. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He's gone through all of this. He's reached out relationally in front of the whole crowd. He's ruined his reputation theologically in front of the spiritual leaders. He's done all of this, reached out to the ostracized, spent the time relationally, seen the change happen, said salvation has come to this house. And then he reiterates what his goal and passion and meaning and purpose for the reason that he came. And I promise you, church, this is our purpose as well. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That which is lost. Jesus understood the purpose of his life. And I think something that we don't realize sometimes when we come to this story, it's a very famous story. We've all heard it before. Something maybe we don't realize is at this moment, Jesus is less than two weeks away from the cross. Jesus has about 10 or 11 days till he's going to hang on the cross for the sins of all humanity. He's going to hang on the cross for your sins and for mine. He's about to go through the crucible. He's about to have the most agonizing death possible. He's about to fulfill what he has come to do. And even in the midst of that, he knows what's coming. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows what's about to happen to him. Even in the midst of that, on his way to die for all of humanity, he still sees Zacchaeus in the tree. He's not distracted by what's about to happen in Jerusalem. He's not distracted by all these things he's about to undergo. He sees Zacchaeus in the midst. He sees through the crowd in the midst of this moment. And he still loves the individual. He still reaches out to the one who needs him. He still reaches out to the one who he can make a difference. He could have left Zacchaeus in that tree. He could have left Bartimaeus on the side of the road. He had a place to go, but Jesus understood the purpose of his life, that he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He understood the purpose. And when you look back over the story, yeah, it says that he was just passing through. Yeah, it says that he just, he needed to go through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. But I have lived long enough to know there are no coincidences in Scripture. When it comes to these spiritual things, it's so oftentimes in our own life, we'll come through an event or something, we'll say, well, it was just a coincidence. And on the other side of it, we look back and see God's divine providence, God's sovereign will. We see his hand in the midst of it. And on that day, I believe Jesus came through that city. It says he walked up to that tree and he stopped. And he looked up. And he called Zacchaeus in that tree. And number three, it means that Jesus wasn't aimlessly wandering. He was intentionally searching. He was searching. That close to his death, that close to the cross, he was still looking for people to make a difference in their lives. Still looking for people to love. Still looking, intentionally searching. Because Jesus took that path that day to stop under that tree. And he looked up and he called Zacchaeus. He called him. And I want you to know today, Jesus is still calling people today. He's still looking for people today. He's still intentionally searching to seek and to save. He's still calling. And so if that's you today, maybe you just came and you you didn't know why. You thought, I'll just like Zacchaeus, I'll just check it out. I want to see what it's all about. Or maybe somebody invited you and you decided, okay, I'll try this thing. Or maybe you, you clicked on a video online and you decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch this. I don't know why I'm scrolling through. I don't know why I stopped here. I want you to know Jesus is still calling you. That he's still calling you. I'm going to remind you of the bedrock of this series, that he sees you. Even when you lost sight of Jesus, he still sees you. Even when you can't feel like you can reach him, he still sees you. And better than that, he knows you. 
He knows who you are. He knows your faults. He knows your shortcomings. He knows all of the pain that you've walked through. He knows the things that were done to you. He knows all of that. And more than any of that, he loves you anyway. He loves you in spite of it all. He's still calling. And I've told you this before, but I don't care what anybody else has ever said to you. Jesus still wants you. I don't care if you're ostracized like Zacchaeus, if you're hated by those around you, if you've been something in your past that you feel keeps you from God, he still wants you. And Jesus on that path that day, he could have gone on to Jerusalem. He could have done the rest of his ministry. He could have gone on to the cross. He could have set his eyes above the crowds, above the people. He could have have forgotten all of that, but he knew what his purpose was. He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. So today, I just want you to know that he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He's still calling. He's still calling. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. God, I pray that you would help us to take advantage of opportunities, God. That we would seek those who are lost. That we would bring the gospel, Lord, into communities and to people that other people have written off. And Lord, even people that we have this anger towards, even people, God, that we feel we have a right to be angry with God, that we would see your grace still reach them. Even those, God, who may have taken advantage of us, God, those who may have misused their relationship with us, God, those, Lord, we still pray that your grace would reach them. And give us the strength to see our purpose to align with yours, Lord, that we came to seek and to save. That because of the gospel of the cross, that we would have that living hope. And God, that we would spread it to the world around us. And so today, if you're here or you're watching online and you feel like you're in that place, you're far from God. And maybe it's something in your past. Maybe you feel left out of the community like Zacchaeus, whatever it was. Maybe something you felt like you did or maybe something you felt was done to you. But for whatever reason, you're far from God today. For whatever reason, you're far from him. I want you to know right now he's calling you. Right now he's calling you. Right now he wants you. And you may have been told that you're far from God. There's no hope for you. I want you to know that you're not. I want you to know that God still reaches out his hand even today. That he still loves you, that he still wants to be your savior. And you say, well, who is Jesus to me? Two weeks after this story, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He dies on a cross for the sins of your sins and mine, for the sins of all humanity. He dies on the cross to forgive us, to pay our price. But he didn't stay dead, everybody. It says that he was raised again to new life so that anyone, including you, anyone can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That's who Jesus is to you. That's who he is to me. That he is the answer. He is the salvation to our souls. He is the reason we can call on his name. He's the reason we can even approach the throne room of God. It's Jesus who loved us, who died for us, who rose again, that we can call on his name. And so today I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It's a prayer. I just want to give you the words. You have to mean them in your heart. But with one prayer today, you can surrender your life to him. You can turn the entire trajectory of your life over to Jesus. 
Don't miss this opportunity. If he's calling you, if you feel that in your heart, you know he's calling you. Be like Zacchaeus. He came down from the tree gladly and received him. Don't stay stuck. Don't let the crowd keep you from your salvation. Don't let the people who have been in your past keep you from running to Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to give you the words. The church will pray it with you. Nobody prays alone. But you need to say these words and you need to mean them. Wherever you're watching from, wherever you are right now, say these words. Come on, church. Jesus, save me. Forgive me. I surrender to you. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. I surrender all. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I thank you for those who have made that decision. God, I thank you, Lord, as we go out this week, that you would see opportunities to bring across our path. That we would never write people off as too far gone, God. We would never write people off as ostracized, God. But we would see the opportunities we have to reach people for the gospel. Lord, I thank you we would have boldness as we leave this place. God, that we have the answer. We have the solution. We have the hope of the world, Lord, in the message of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us be with us every step of the way. God, we count it an honor that you've included us in this rescue mission. Lord, we count it an honor that you've given us the purpose to seek those who are lost. That you've entrusted to us the message of the gospel. That we are your ambassadors, God. We are your hands and feet in the world. Give us opportunities to show that. Lord, let us never turn away someone. Let us never come between them and the cross. Let us funnel everyone as many as we can to Jesus. We thank you for all that you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all the church said amen and amen.